Welcome to the City Life Podcast. We're all about making Jesus known. We pray these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus, who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. Hi, this is Pastor Tim, and I'm always encouraged to hear what God is doing in your life. Now, if you have a story or a testimony to share regarding a miracle, please let me know at story at citylifefw.org. That's story at citylifefw.org. Hey, I'm looking forward to hearing your personal story soon. As you're giving in your offerings today. And while you're giving, I want to go ahead and encourage you to get your Bibles open. This is multitasking time. Get your Bibles open to two locations, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, John 1, 14. So those two places. All right. So while you're finding those two places in your Bibles, uh, I want to ask you a quick question here. Uh, how many of you guys have been to, out to Sundance Square to see the Christmas tree already? Yeah, it's fun. Hey, listen, one of the advantages of having church downtown is you could even just take a walk. It, it is literally 10 blocks from here. I know for some of you that, that could be exhausting. Now it wouldn't be. And, and the weather's beautiful today. But you can just go out there and enjoy it. It's, it's just one of the beautiful things about it. It's kind of like you know, it's just stress-free. Uh, you, just, you just enjoy it. Uh, in fact, I was reading the other day, uh, on, I was reading online about things that boost your mood. And, uh, and there's been a study that was out there. They've done all these studies and surveys. And, and, so, and I was like, sometimes I wonder, who does these studies and surveys? I mean, what, do they have nothing better to do with their life? But that's okay, because I still find it interesting. But they did this survey on, on uh, things that make you happier or things that boost your mood. And they even have the percentage breakdown of all the hundreds of people they surveyed across America. And, uh, and they came up with a top 40 list of things that boost your mood. Now, I'm not going to go through all 40 of them. It's really an interesting list, but I will do the top 12. So we're going to have a little bit of fun with this. But I love the, I just love this because every one of these is like, yeah, yeah, that boosts my mood. But you'll also see the pure simplicity of it. Just listen to these. This is uh, number 12. 12th highest mood booster is this, plopping down on your bed after a long, tiring day. How many of you are with me on that? Yeah, I like that. I like that. Number 11, the first sip of coffee of the day. Uh, you better, I heard people saying praise God over here. Yeah, that's it. Number 10. The 10th one is this. Seeing a friend you haven't seen in a long time. Uh, good, good, good response. There are appropriate responses to all these. Uh, it feels warm, doesn't it? Uh, number 9 is a meaningfully long hug from someone you love. I was I was going to tell you we're back. I think it was in yesterday or the day before, and we were doing a little quick hug. I said, like, "No, we can't do a quick hug. We have to have a long, meaningful hug, and it feels just better, right? It's just it just works better." Number number eight. How about this? A long hot shower. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. How many of you experienced that even today? Yes, 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 yes. See, I hear that. And then another one is number seventh highest is realizing that it is a bright, sunny, beautiful day. That boosts your mood. That boosts my mood. I love it. I love the sun. I don't have any idea how people live in Alaska. That's their problem. All right. Number six, performing a small gesture of kindness for someone in your life. Yeah. Number five is petting a dog. 
How many dog lovers we got out here? How many dog lovers? That's it. That's it. That's it. I have two dogs. We have we have a two chihuahuas, and one of them is really loves to get petted and runs to me and jumps on me. The other just kind of looks at me like is confused all the time. But uh, but I just I love, it's still wonderful. I love those dogs. How many of you are cat lovers? See, we'll be praying for you because cats, cats, you know, cats because cats. You, you can pet them, but then they, they begin to vibrate. And you're like, what's wrong with this thing? And, and then, and then they, they, they all just out of nowhere, like claws appear. Or it's like, what, what, what's going on here? You know, dogs are a little more predictable. Uh, my goodness. I'm not going to, no. I'm not going to tell you. I, I, I grew up with some cats, and so I, I learned how to play with them. All right, here, here's, a, here's number, number four. Uh, number four is this, receiving a small gesture of kindness from someone in your life. And number three is this, I love this, lying in bed listening to the rain fall outside. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. Unless you're skipping work to do it, then it's costing you a lot, all right? Number two, being able to sleep in with no alarm set. I did that this week. I was so happy. I woke up at 7 a.m. Ish. All right. And number one, the, the highest one, which is this, this things that just make you feel better and boost your mood is finding money in your pocket that you didn't know you had. Don't you love that? Yeah. I found some in my, it was actually in my, in my wallet. I had money like hidden in my wallet, I guess. It's like in, this, in a place I just pulled something out. I'm like, oh, there's money. Oh, you know, it's like I, I wanted to say thank you, Jesus. Like, well, I don't know if Jesus like put it there. I probably put it there. But but I, I don't know. I was just happy. It just made me feel good. And I put it back. So it's still there. Um, but but I love the simplicity of those things. I love. So if there's such simple ways for us to have our mood boosted, why are we always so uptight in life? Really? Well, here's the deal. I want you to think with me today. I believe that truth is to blame. Now, hold on. Think with me today. I believe that truth is to blame. Because, first of all, let's talk about truth. So we're going we're gonna to dig into this. First of all, truth lies in Jesus, okay? Where does truth lie? Truth lies in Jesus. Now, I, I'm not preaching heresy here today, but I want you to hear me, hear me out. Jesus what he does is he reveals truth about ourselves. And it's never pretty. And when we begin to see who we really are, I mean, like, what can we do? Uh, like Adam and Eve, you run away and you hide. Or, uh, and like Jonah, you know, it's like, I'm going to get on a boat, go to the other side of the world. But that doesn't ever work. See, our world, uh, you know, when it comes to this issue of truth, our world is in this constant pursuit of truth as well. It's just like this relentless appetite for truth alone, but it does cause people to get really uptight. You keep looking at the news and reading it over and over. You get information, you dissect that information, you research things uh, on, on the Internet. You read a book, you get the truth, and you dissect it. You get a letter, and it's like, oh, this truth. You get your bills, this truth, you know. And all this truth that's coming your way can breed hopelessness regarding your health or your marriage, uh, uh, regarding your career, regarding your finances. But wait, didn't I say that truth lies in Jesus? Think about this. If hopelessness is often the result of pure truth, then what's the disconnect here? Or is there a disconnect? I'll tell you this much right here. It's really a lie that often accompanies the truth that's the problem. Because truth not, doesn't just lie in Jesus, but truth sometimes lies when it's not accompanied by grace. 
See, God can't lie. So truth with God is always, always accompanied by grace. See, here, think of it this way. God knows the truth about you. He, he, knows, he, he knows your secret thoughts. He has, he's seen your darkest deeds. And that's why so often we like want to run away from God. I mean, after all, we often think that God's trying to catch you. God wants to beat you up with his sword or something, right? He wants to make you pay for your misdeeds, and so we run. We see God as like this alligator with his big teeth chasing us, and we know he's just going to crunch us up if he catches us. Now, I've heard this, that if gators are chasing you, that you have to run. Would you agree with me on that? But there's a certain way to run that, that actually works with gators. And I, and I think we, we actually kind of do this in our lives with God. You see, well, the way you run to get away from the gator is you have to zigzag. Because when you zigzag, you make the chase a lot more difficult for the gator. Because alligators can't make sharp turns, and so they wear out quickly. And the zigzags is, is basically how, uh, you, how to get away from an alligator. So in case you're out there like in the bayou or whatever and an alligator starts chasing you, that one's free. That's good free information for you for this next time. But so many people are zigzagging through life, though. You're jumping from one cause to another, from one goal to another, from one thrill to another, even from one church to another, zigzagging and zigzagging, and quite often it's, you're running from something. You're running actually from truth. You're trying to leave that truth in the dust. You don't want to look at it. But the problem is that the zigzagging, it wears you down. It wears you out. Here's, I just want to ask you this question. Could the lack of progress in your spiritual life, relationally, possibly even financially, emotionally, even physically, could it be that you're zigzagging, trying not to get bit? Maybe trying to zigzag away from the truth, zigzag away from God? Now, the answer to this is to stop zigzagging and is to run straight. But not straight away. It's like straight to Jesus. Run to the truth. See, you can't even really... You can't do this on your own. You know, you've got to run to the truth because you know already you're messed up. The truth tells us that. And see, I don't need to tell you that about you because you know that. We all know that. And you need help. And But when you run to the truth, you get something else. You get grace and you get what Jordan was mentioning earlier, peace. You run to Jesus face first, and stop looking over your shoulder because truth alone, it's going to bring you some guilt and shame. Shame, what does it do? Well, shame, shame makes you feel like you're a bad person. Not necessarily that you did something bad, but you're just a bad person. Shame uh, causes people to kind of shrink into this smallness. Um, and, and shame has never been God's plan for us, never. Uh, truth alone, all by itself, it brings shame because we're never good enough. We're never. And in today's world, especially in the city with this perfectionist performance approach to life in businesses and even in homes and schools and sometimes even in church, it's ultimately destructive because it's all about truth alone and perfection, and it shames you when you can't measure up to the perfection. You're not good enough. And that shame then begins to zap your energy. And what happens there is your hope and your faith begins to dissolve. And that's a problem. 
And then a lot of times words from other people will drive the shame that you already feel. It'll drive it just a little bit deeper. People who are just saying, who look at you and say, who do you think you are? You've been told that before? Yeah, I was told that one time. I was like, I had, a, had, a, had someone tell me that. I was like, who do you think you are? They said, who do you think you are? God? And I went, no, no, I have a relationship with him. I'm not him, though. You know, I'm, I'm a child of God, though. And it's like, well, how do you respond to shame like that or, or shameful stuff like, well, you're getting too big for your britches? Shame words such as good luck, you're definitely going to need it for sure. Or the worst of all, just these three words, shame on you, shame on you. Does God put shame on us? Then why do we do it? I was at the city council meeting on Tuesday evening, and we were making our final presentation of the uh, tax force on race and culture to the city. And so glad that those 18 months of, of uh, volunteer service to the city it has wrapped up. And, and um, part of it is, 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 you, is, the, uh, is people from the community can come talk. And so they each get a couple of minutes, and they can stand up there and talk about whatever. Well, there were a couple of hours worth of this. And, and it just went on and 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 on. Most of it was just very, very negative, angry, you know, yelling and screaming, and th- those kinds of things. And you're kind of going, okay. <laughs> uh, you, you, part of it, I, I know some of my colleagues, they were thinking, I spent 18 months serving the community to get yelled at. <laughs> i just like, wait a minute, wait a minute here. And, but then one person came up near the very end of it, and this was one person, looked over at, at, uh, at the task force and began looking, going one person after another. Shame on you. Shame on you. Shame on you. And then shame. 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 Shame, and I sure, sure was glad they stopped before they got to me, you know. But you could feel the tension rising in the room, and I was looking at some of my colleagues there, and, and you know, there's, there's, some, there's some, like, feisty people up there. I thought, you know, one of these guys, they just might jump up there and say, well, shame on you, you know. But, but uh, I, I was looking at that whole situation, and, and I, I, you know, I, I was just thinking, well, you know, if he says it to me, it just bounces right back off because I don't receive shame. I, I just don't do that. I, I'm not going to receive shame. And I don't even know what he's talking about, why he's shaming us anyway. But, but then my heart shifted for a moment from that defensive posture to compassion. I was looking at the man, and he's a man about my age. And I thought, what has that man been through that makes him release so much shame? Why is he shaming others? tell you, the reason people shame others is because they have been shamed over and over and over and over. In my heart, I just quietly prayed a prayer, encouragement and blessing for that man because he's hurting. He's hurting. And that hurt, he lashes out. We do the same thing with shame. 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 Shame corrodes the very part of us that wants to do better. And every one of you that I pointed at just a few minutes ago when I was saying shame on you, you know how uncomfortable that felt. But it also may have taken you back to a time when it was even said to you. Shame causes us to kind of freeze in our tracks. Uh, we lose hope. And then if we, take, if we take that shame on, then we regurgitate it. We shame other people as well.
for you here. See, shame needs to be removed from our lives. And the way to do it is through a passionate pursuit of Jesus, and that's not oversimplification. See, understanding this, knowing that Jesus is truth, and he knows everything anyway, we run to that truth, not afraid of it, because with that truth we have love and hope and healing and grace in Jesus. See, that's what the wise men did. I asked you to turn your Bible in a couple places, and one was Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. I want you to look at this because I want you to see how the magi, the wise men, ran to Jesus. And then there's another character who did the opposite. Take a look at it, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, that's one of the characters, magi, that's the other character, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked Herod, Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star and uh, when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard all of this, he was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the lands of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a, sh- a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. Now, that was a lie. That was not what he wanted to do. We we know not only from from history but also from from the Scriptures as as the story continues that he sent his his team into Bethlehem and they they killed, they, they, they murdered every child, every boy. Uh, who was two years old and under. So it was devastating. It says, after they had heard the king, the magi had, they went on their way, and the star that they had, had seen when it rose, when it went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Look at that response to truth. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to the country by another route. These guys wanted truth. They ran to truth, and they embraced Jesus, which is truth personified. Herod feared truth. He fought truth. He pushed out back against it, and he tried to destroy truth by killing baby Jesus because he wasn't successful. That's a huge dichotomy there. See, the Magi, though, they were the seekers of truth, and they sought after all that Jesus had, all of it. We're truth seekers, too. We really are in our culture. There's this allure in this, in this world. You know, we want to know the truth, don't we? We want to know truth. I did this little search uh, on a search engine just, uh, just the other day, and, and I typed in. It's fun. You can do this. You type in, like, a two or three words and see what kind of responses come up. And so I tried to type this in, the truth about, the truth about, and to see what came up. And then the, the highest answer, the top one, was the truth about cancer. Wow. That's what people are searching for. The next highest was people want to know the truth about Christmas. Like, wow. <laughs> Uh, church, we got some job, got got some work to do here to keep this word out. <laughs> then the third one was actually quite funny. Um, you know, there's cancer, there's Christmas, and then the next thing is people want to know the truth about no kidding, killer robots. If you, I'm, I don't know if you guys are the ones who've been googling that and you want to know the truth about killer robots, but just please know it's not your car. Don't worry about it. You can drive home in your car, right? And then the, the, the fourth one was uh, the truth about lies. 
Like, wait a minute. That's I, how does that work? A lie. Yeah, it's true. Lies are not truth. I, I don't know that. That's really interesting. And the next one is the truth about vaccines. But it's kind of interesting. The only really positive of these top five was the truth about Christmas. The rest are fear based. But on the other hand, Jesus is truth. And truth takes us really to the end of ourselves. When we get a full revelation of truth, it, it becomes clear to us that we need the grace of a loving Savior. We need it. Now, I want you to look at that a second passage, John 1, 14, because this also speaks of the arrival, the birth of Jesus Christ from, from the book of John. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word, which is Jesus, the, the Word, so it's also God spoke, you know, and things happen, but he, Jesus is the Word. So the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Look at that last line, full of two things. What do you see it? Grace and what? Truth. Grace and truth. Now, a lot of people miss the grace part. They just see the truth part. you got to keep in mind, Jesus welcomed sinners, and he ate with them, and he had compassion on the crowds. And, and when, when, when they were hungry, he fed them. He welcomed the little children and had them come sit on his lap. And I tell you, he was kinder and gentler than, than, the, uh, than the Santa Claus over there at North Park. All right, much better. Much better. And I, I guarantee none of the children cried. I can't, well, I, I would have to say I guarantee that because I would think, what children is going to cry when they're, like, in God's arms? Or really, really? You know? and, and so, like, when they were doing the little pictures, they never had crying babies, right? There are no evidence of that because they didn't have their iPhones yet, right? Okay. And I don't know what they had. I was thinking, do they have, like, some artists there doing it? I, I seriously doubt it. But there were no crying kids sitting in Jesus' lap. Jesus, he wasn't scary. <laughs> He's truth. He's not scary. He healed the lepers. He healed the blind and the lame. He, he saved the criminal who was being executed on the cross right next to him. And he extends that same grace to you and to me. Now, I know you might want to shout at me. It's like, but I want to know the truth. Well, the truth is Jesus. Jesus is truth. And, and the truth is this, is that Jesus is full of grace grace. He entered into this world in poverty and humility, and he understands your pain. So where does truth lie? Well, truth lies in the manger. It's that place of humility. That's where God decided to come. When his physical life ended, it was also humility in action. And he wasn't on the cross just for show. No, it was for release of power. So truth also went to the cross, which is that place of sacrificial love for you. That's grace. He sacrificed his life for you so that you don't even have to pay the penalty of death for your sins. That's amazing. Jesus even said this. He says, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for his friends. And that's what he was talking about. It's what he was about to do for us. We're his friends. Uh, next Sunday, uh, we're going to have our Christmas family communion service. And the entire family will be in here. We'll be facing and experiencing the truth and the grace of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And why do we need to do that? Why is that important? Well, it's because truth, Jesus, brings security. He's not going to leave you, even though you've been left by others. He's not going to forsake you like that business partner. He's not out to get you like that sneaky person you had to deal with. And you are safe in his arms. And, and truth, Jesus' truth, also brings you hope. 
You don't have to abide in hopelessness anymore. God wants to give you a breakthrough of grace and of hope. It's time for you to be set free from shame right here at this time. The shame that has eroded your hope, it's time to get that shame unloaded. I like what Paul says. Paul says this, I pray to God, the source of hope. Where's the source of hope? God. Truth also. So that's why we run to him. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace. That's what we get because you trust him. Then you will overflow with confident hope. You want confidence? You want hope? Then you run to Jesus, and you get that through the power of the Holy Spirit that he puts in us. And so I'm telling you, guys, right here, right now, God is here to break you free from pessimism, from victimization. God's here to, to break you free from doubt and from death because the truth that Jesus gives you grace is here, and it's real. And new hope can begin in your life today. And then you can say, like I've shared before over the past couple of weeks, this, this wonderful little line right here, which I, I hope you may even memorize this for yourself. Nothing can shake me. He's right by my side. I'm glad from the inside out. Ecstatic. I've pinched my tent in the land of hope. So where have you pitched your tent? Or, or have you even pitched a tent? <laughs> Are you still busy zigzagging, running around, trying to dodge the truth? I want to embrace hope. And this Christmas, my challenge to you is to pursue truth and pitch your tent in the land of hope. It's the hope that God's going to set all things straight for you. It's the hope that God's going to have the last word for you. It's a hope that says you win in Jesus. Run to truth. Run to grace. Run to hope. Run to Jesus believe with all my heart that God honors you according to how you honor his son, Jesus. You exalt the name of Jesus, you'll be exalted. You exalt the person of Jesus, you'll be promoted. You elevate the work of Jesus, you'll be elevated. It's time to stop running from Jesus because when you run from Jesus, you run away from that grace that you need and that I need. And that will cause you then to act out negatively toward other people in your life who are running away from grace. Allow Jesus' love and grace and power to lift you up from every defeat that you are experiencing. God loves you. God values you. God treasures you. And it's time to run straight to Jesus. Run, run to him and live and abide in him. You see, Jesus, Jesus, he's the one to go to. The breakthrough that you've been believing for, that you've been wanting in your life, it's about to come to pass swiftly. It'll happen in the name of Jesus. That destructive addiction that you've been battling for years, it comes crumbling down and will no longer have a hold on your life in Jesus' name. That health condition that you're trying to beat, it will be no more in Jesus' name. And even in this room today, I declare supernatural healing over relationships and people's physical bodies right now. By his scourgings, you were made completely whole in Jesus' name. Even cancer and terminal diseases have no hold or control on your body in the name of Jesus. I speak health. I speak healing. I speak longevity. I speak wellness in Jesus' name. May your youth be renewed as the eagles. May you be satisfied with a long life and good days in Jesus' name. I serve, we serve a miracle-working God and that God can go far above and beyond anything you can expect or imagine in your life. And he will certainly go much farther than what any doctor has to say to you about your condition. 
Lean into his love, his grace, and his peace and pursue it. May his healing power have full effect in your body in Jesus' name. And I can't wait to hear the stories of what God's doing in your life. I can't wait to hear how God takes and heals relationship, home, the body. Because he loves you. And your best really is yet to come. As the closest message portion of today's worship gathering, I ask you just to close your eyes and focus internally for just a moment. Um, you might be here today and you've never really surrendered your life completely to Jesus. You've never experienced his grace in the way that I'm describing. Maybe you've served religion, but you're realizing it was just religion of truth. There was no grace attached, and that's not God. If you want to know this Jesus that I'm talking about, you want to make the commitment to serve him, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond by simply lifting your hand. By lifting your hand, I'll be able to see your hand and connect my faith with yours, and we'll pray together. Jesus loves you. Don't forget it. He died for you so you can have life eternal, and today it is time for you to live and really live. If you'd like to be a part of my closing prayer, make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Count of three, I'd like for you to lift your hand. Will you do that? One, two, three. Lift your hand so that I can see it now. Lift your hand so I can see it and connect my faith with yours. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? What's that like for us to do? I'd like for us to pray this prayer. If you lifted your hand, I want you to pray this from the bottom of your heart. Believers, I want you to pray this also along with me as an encouragement to the person who's also praying this prayer to make things right with Jesus. Come on, let's all pray this together. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I believe you're the Son of God. Please forgive my sins. Today I give up my past, and I embrace the future that you have for me. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's message. You know, City Life Church, we are all about developing followers of Jesus who influence and shape culture. And it's possible that you are even feeling a, a shift that is coming in your life or possibly deep down inside you feel called to something more. And City Life might be a part of that future. Let me tell you, Launch Sunday is the big event that's coming up, and it's happening on February 10th, 2019. And if you'd really like to be a part of what God is doing in downtown Fort Worth through City Life Church, I'm asking you to go and visit our website at citylifefw.org and click the launch button. Uh, you could also just come and visit one of our services because I, I really believe the future is bright and it's limitless in potential. I want you to hear my vision. I want you to be a part of what God is doing at City Life and come and chat with me personally after one of the services.